The following message was given by Nick Kidwell, the senior pastor of Valley Creek Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.valleycreek.church. So excited for this morning. For those of you who have been with us through our Advent series, you know I have been restrained in proclaiming the good news of great joy that the Savior has come. We've been looking at and trying to feel the anticipation that Israel felt, that the world felt as they waited through the promises that had been handed down of the Savior to come. But this morning, we get to see those promises fulfilled. The title of the message this morning is, Christ has come, the kingdom, the king, and the promises fulfilled. We began our Advent series seeing sin unleashed in the world and a promise given that a descendant of Eve would crush the head of evil. We saw God reveal to David that part of that promise fulfilled would involve a great king who would sit eternally on his throne. And then last week we saw God picture for us through the prophet Isaiah just what life would look like in the kingdom under the king with the head of evil finally once and for all destroyed. And then we noted that the people waited. Kids, I don't know about you all, but in our house, we have a countdown calendar. There's eager anticipation for Christmas. Anna's got her little calendar going. And of course, particular excitement is around the presents that we all get to enjoy tomorrow. If I'm honest, I can feel that inner child in me as well. I love unwrapping a gift. <laughs> and I like giving them. I'm terrible. I buy, once I buy my gifts, I, I just would love to just give them right then. Happiest birthdays a few weeks from now. I have her birthday gifts already. I'm like, can I just give them all to you tomorrow? Because I'm very excited for that. But I have to wait a particularly long time for gifts. Anna's birthday, my daughter, is June, right in the middle of the year. So she gets it twice a year. My birthday is tomorrow on Christmas. So I have to wait 364 days every year to get gifts. Well, whatever it is, we all know that sense of longing and expectation the week before vacation drags on forever, the phone never rings when we're hoping to hear from someone, the watch pot never boils, that's a phrase that we say. The people of Israel had waited and waited for centuries. And at one point they seemed to wait in silence, though God, since the time of Moses, had consistently given them judges and prophets and kings to speak to them his very words. One day that all seemed to stop. God didn't leave his people, but they received no more revelation about this coming king, the Messiah. They received no more prophecies about the kingdom that he was going to bring. But then suddenly things began to happen. Angels began appearing. Prophecies being spoken. Miracles began to unfurl. And the heavenly bodies themselves became messengers of the king. The silence had been broken. It was like a great button had been pushed, and all the cogs of God's redemptive plan began to turn, pulling back the curtain to reveal that which he had been preparing from ages long past. As Matthew wrote his gospel, we've been in the gospel of Matthew together as a church. As he wrote his gospel, he wrote in hindsight. He wrote as one who had come to see and realize just who Jesus was. 
But the disciples of Christ, his family, the crowds, they didn't understand for some time what it all meant. They had the angels, they had the prophecies, they saw the miracles, but they hadn't fully embraced the one that it all pointed toward. But this morning, we're actually picking back up in our Matthew series that we've been walking through in chapter 16. And in chapter 16, we hit a turning point. We see the disciples, represented here by Peter, putting the pieces together, grasping for it seems the first time that Jesus is the one who had been promised from so long ago. So please turn with me, if you would now, to Matthew chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 13 to 17. Next week, we'll pick up and read these verses again and the rest of the context of this section, but this morning we're going to read 13 to 17. I want to pray before we read. Father, I pray that this would be good news of great joy to our hearts this morning. Help us to receive your word. Help us to understand your word and help us to see Jesus Christ for who he is. We pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. In many places around the globe, people know about Jesus, if by name only. And in every place where Jesus' name is known, people have opinions about him. To some, he was a kind man. To others, he was a great moral teacher. Some concede he was a miracle worker and a healer. To some, he's simply a myth or a metaphor. But to many, he is much more than that. Well, Jesus, as any serious student of history knows, was no myth or metaphor. So we can take that off the table very quickly. He was real, but beyond that, There are many things that can be said about him. He certainly was a moral teacher. He was the kindest man to ever walk this earth. He was a healer. He was a miracle worker. But what the gospel of Matthew has been trying to get us to see is that he is much more than any one of those things. And here in our passage this morning, Jesus confronts his disciples yet again to see if they had finally come to understand what he had been revealing to them. So Jesus asks them, who do people say the Son of Man is? Because Jesus often used Son of Man as a title for himself, he's asking them, who do people say that I am? The apostles then list several men, Elijah, John the Baptist, reincarnate, Jeremiah. In summary, the report to Jesus was, the people say that you are a prophet of God. 
It seems that among those who didn't count Jesus as a heretic or a charlatan, the prevailing theory was that he was a prophet of God. With a nod to the insufficiency of such an answer, Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? He's saying, this is what the crowds say, but do you yet see the truth? And Simon Peter speaks up and declares for the first time, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And rather than correct him for error, Jesus affirms his declaration and says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, Simon got it right. God had finally opened their eyes to see Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the long-awaited Messiah. What Peter is declaring here is that Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a good man. He certainly is not a heretic or a charlatan. He's no myth or legend. And he's not just another prophet who has come or who has been reincarnated. The prophets spoke to reveal the promises of God and to ready the people for a king to come. Jesus hasn't come to further reveal promises or ready the people for a king. Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises. He is the long-awaited king. I love how R.T. France put it in his commentary. His, Peter's, understanding of Jesus way of saving his people from their sins, still has a long way to go. So at this point in chapter 16, they still don't understand everything Jesus is going to do. But however limited his grasp of Jesus' actual mission, he's gone beyond the popular acclamation of Jesus as a prophet to the point of recognizing him as not just one among the many, Not even like John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, but as the one climactic figure in whom God's purposes is finally being accomplished. In that, Peter has made the critical breakthrough. Jesus is not just a historical figure. He is that. But he's so much more. Jesus is the focal point and the purpose of all of history. We are about to celebrate the year 2024. Why? Because there are 2,024 roughly years separated from the arrival of Christ. So great was the impact of this itinerant Jewish rabbi that our calendar systems revolve around him. No other person on this earth has had the societal impact that Jesus has had, not even close. Why is that? Why does no other historical figure even compare in scope? Because no other historical figure was the long-promised Savior of the world. Think of Jesus what you want, but we celebrate at Christmas not just the birth of a sweet man or a prophet of God. We celebrate at Christmas the truth, a king who was born, a king who came to not just rule and reign on this earth, to not just pull together a single ethnic people 
for himself, a king who wasn't going to reign simply over another earthly kingdom amidst the fray. No, born was the king of Israel. Born was Emmanuel, God with us. Born was the son of David. Born was the descendant of Eve. Born was the one who was coming to set God's people free from sin, evil, and oppression. Born was the one who was bringing the kingdom of God. Finally, the promises were fulfilled. And so as we looked at three aspects of the promise over the past month, we consider now the three realities of Christ's fulfillment of those. First, Jesus is the serpent crusher, delivering us from evil. The book of Romans describes well the groaning and the moaning of our world. We all in our hearts have gone astray. Though God's nature is plain to us in his creation, we all like fools deny him and refuse to honor him as king. Romans 5 says, sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam and Eve betrayed God in the garden and took that bite, darkness spread to all of us. We all are dead in our trespasses and sin left to ourselves. We all experience our own sin on a daily basis and feel the sting from the sin of those around us. Because of this, the serpent, evil, Satan, continues to bite. Sin continues to rage. And God continues to be dishonored in the hearts of mankind. And mankind continues to walk in its darkness of heart, dead in our trespasses. But the king has come. And he has come to conquer that evil. In Revelation chapter 12, we read, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, that's Satan, of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. This is what Jesus has done. Throughout Revelation, the accuser is synonymous with the serpent that we read in Genesis, the great deceiver, Satan himself, as a representation of all that is evil, the kingdom of darkness, the sin and the death and the pain and the brokenness unleashed by Satan through sin was now all being reversed by Jesus Christ. That's the great light that was being shown upon the earth. That's why at Christmas, the songs and the images have great light shining forth out of darkness. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. When Jesus was born, he was born to crush the head of the serpent. He was born to bring with him the kingdom of God. That means... Whereas the sentence of death had been given through Adam because of Adam's sin, now through Jesus, the great serpent crusher, we are given life. Paul says in Romans, for if because of one man's trespasses, again, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, 
Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus reverses the curse brought by Adam. He crushes the serpent. Colossians says, God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Him being Jesus Christ. When Jesus was born, when Jesus went to the cross, what he did was cosmic in scope. And though he has not yet once for all put sin to death and confined to eternal judgment all things that are in rebellion to him, that great work has begun and is irreversible. Satan has lost. There is no question about it. One day, the scriptures say, all of his enemies will be footstools under his feet. When Christ arrived, the works of Satan began being reversed with his ultimate end being him bound in chains in judgment forever. There's a popular perception of Satan running hell. That is not the case. He will be in judgment himself. Christ is victorious. When we remember the birth of Christ, we celebrate the fact that righteousness has won the war. God has made a way and all of the evil of this world will soon fade like the evening sun and forever will reign the eternal king. So Jesus is the crusher of evil and Jesus is the righteous eternal king to reign on David's throne. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy affirming that Jesus is of the line of the house of David. He's the bloodline through which this promised one would come. In Revelation, we get a profound description of this king, which says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the great king to come. Don't be deceived by Jesus' humble beginnings. Though Jesus came at first through humility to conquer sin and death and destroy the head of evil, rather than simply destroy a, a political earthly enemy, the grandeur of his rule and reign exceed any other king this world has ever known. In Philippians we read, though he was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We've talked about how we all were designed to bow, and we all do bow, but we have to decide to whom or to what we bow. Jesus Christ is the one to whom we are to bow, and this is for our good and for our joy. He is the servant king, laying down his life for his people. He is the great king who reigns not just over a city or a nation, but over all of creation. He's the king who brings peace alleviating our sin and guilt and vanquishing all of our enemies. He's the king who will rule eternally over his people. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. The coming of Christ is good news of great joy for those who turn to him, those who love him. He's of the line of David, a man after God's own heart in whom there's nothing false. He's the king who will not only establish God's house, but build God a temple or build God a temple, but himself is the radiance of God and the true, better, and living temple forever giving access to us directly to God himself. He's the king who will reign forever. When Christ Jesus ascended from the grave, he proved there's not a single thing on this earth, including death, that can stand in the way of his rule. This king has promised to be with us always. This king has given us his spirit. This king will never leave us or forsake us. This king defeated death and will never die again. And this king is the son of God, one with God himself, a member of the Trinity. By living under the reign of this king, we live under the reign of our God. By living under this king, We receive all his benefits, including the forgiveness we desperately need for our sins. As followers of Jesus Christ, when we say that we are placing our faith in him, we're saying we believe that he's the one to whom we should bow. We believe that he's the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He walks in perfect righteousness and knows what is best for us. We entrust all our hopes and all of our dreams and all of our happinesses to Him. And church, though as we'll see in just a minute, we don't yet see and experience the fullness of all that will be ours, the King has proven to us His goodness, has He not? And the greatest way He's done so is securing for us entry into His kingdom. So Jesus is the crusher of evil. Jesus is the righteous, eternal king on David's throne. And Jesus is bringing with him the very kingdom of God. When John the Baptist began his ministry, the Spirit of the Lord filled him to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Last week we spoke of the kingdom of God that is coming That this king would bring a blessed kingdom, a peaceful kingdom, a joyful kingdom, a kingdom of life, a kingdom of worship, a kingdom of eternal security. When Christ arrived, many expected to see this accomplishment in fullness all at once. 
Yet the mission of Christ looked different. Even Peter wouldn't have grasped all of this as he makes his confession here. As we said, the fulfillment of some of the prophecies we've been given happen in stages, happen over time, separated by time and distances. When Christ Jesus was born in the manger, it was a declaration that his arrival did mark the coming of the kingdom. That's why wise men came and bowed before him, giving him gifts fit for a king, but the kingdom had come in part, creating spiritual liberation for a world long enslaved to sin. And the king would then provide entrance into the kingdom for his people, the kingdom that would one day come in completion. When Jesus came, the blind saw, the lame walked, the deaf could hear, and the oppressed were set free. Jesus showed the external fruits and examples of what life in the new kingdom would look like. But what Jesus really unleashed in his first coming was the spiritual birth of the kingdom of God in the lives of men. And he established the hope of the physical world experiencing that same rebirth in the time to come. Church, Jesus entered this world to bring the kingdom of God and to offer entrance into the kingdom for all of those who would repent of their sins and bow their knee to his gracious rule and reign over their lives. We all know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the great need of all of humanity. Forgiveness of sins and a reversal of the curse, a restoration of life again with our God. And as much as we can hear the prophecy of Isaiah from last week and long for the new heavens and the new earth that are to come in all of their perfection, hear this, church, we do still experience much of this kingdom at present. The kingdom has been made manifest among us and in our hearts. You are not just promised the kingdom to come. You are, but you are a citizen of that kingdom right now with all access to its benefits. You experience the blessing of the kingdom. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places every blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Blessing, not curse, is your reality if you've trusted in Jesus Christ. You're set free from that darkness. We experience the peace of the kingdom, peace with God, Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That relationship is restored. Romans 5, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with others. Colossians 3, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. And we have peace even in the midst of the ongoing brokenness of the world. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me... You may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We experience his peace now. 
We experience the joy of the kingdom. First Peter, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Joy is already ours. Blessing and peace and joy. We experience the life of the kingdom. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have been reborn. That's real. And the, the spiritual rebirth you've experienced can never die again. That's the kingdom of life. We experience the worship of God, Romans 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Philippians, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. God has freed us from slavery to sin and God is in our midst. And we experience the eternal security of this kingdom. This can be one of the hardest ones for us to grasp. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Church, that is our reality. Philippians 3 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. The king and the kingdom has come. The serpent has been crushed. And though we await the day that the Lord once for all finally makes all things new, making a new creation no longer subject to decay and removing from us once for all the ability to sin, purging from his presence all those who rebel against him, his kingdom has still come at present. Israel wasn't sure who would be on the throne next. Israel wasn't sure where their kingdom would end up. When Christ came, he declared, we never needed to look for another king. He declared our homeland is sure and secure. If we've bowed our hearts before him, we have been sealed by his spirit and we are already, already eternally secure. Brothers and sisters, that is the hope of this man, Jesus Christ, born those many years ago. Unlike the covenant of Moses, dependent upon the performance of the people to remain in God's presence, we have the new covenant in Christ. Our entrance into his presence is rooted in faith alone in the grace that he offers. We not, need not ever worry if our future is secure. It is if you've repented of your sins and you've trusted in him, then the kingdom has already come for you. Receive it, 
receive it with gladness, and live now in light of it. The power of sin has been broken over you. You have been transferred, as Colossians says, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. All of these words, all of these things, they're all reflecting a present reality for you right now. This Christmas, as you reflect on his coming, ask yourself, are there ways you live as if he hadn't come? Things you believe about yourself that don't reflect the fact that the head of the serpent has been crushed, that the son of David sits eternally secure on the throne, or that you are a citizen already of the kingdom of heaven. There's so many ways we don't live like those things are true. And if you're here this morning and you've never bowed a knee to this King Jesus, I implore you to do so today. The pain, the struggles, the heartaches you experience in this world are because of the sin and brokenness that we have unleashed upon it. We were made to be at peace with God. Don't make peace with the brokenness acting as if it weren't painful. It is painful, but there is a cure. Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to experience real peace and have hope that one day all things, not just spiritual, but all things will be made new. If you're here and you want that to be true, if you want the peace and the joy and the blessing and the life that this kingdom offers, then all you need to do is acknowledge who Christ is. Acknowledge your need for forgiveness and bow your knee to his leading in your life. Myself or anyone else that you've seen up front here would be happy to talk with you about this further. Church, joy to the world, the Lord is come. We are a blessed people. We have seen the promises fulfilled. We have experienced the benefits of his mercy and we await the day he comes again bringing the full and final completion of his redemptive work with a new creation in which nothing accursed will ever again exist. It's coming. Let's live in light of that day. Let's live in light of these realities and let's make him known that others might enter into this glorious kingdom with us. Let's forever with Peter declare, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that your son has come. Thank you that you made promises that we would know that you would keep them. Thank you, Father, that Christ came according to all that you had handed down for centuries before his coming. And thank you for the kingdom that he has brought. Thank you for the forgiveness that he offers. Thank you for the life that we have in him. And I pray, Father, for any areas of darkness here among us in our own hearts, in the lives of those around us, for any who continue to sit in darkness, in sin and judgment, we pray for the great light of Christ to shine. Pray, Lord, that we would Invite Christ into those dark areas of our hearts that you would continue to set captives free. And I pray even this morning that there's someone in this room today
who for the first time feels the freedom that is afforded through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your son. Thank you that we can celebrate his birth. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Nick Kidwell given at Valley Creek Church. For more information on the church and other messages, please visit us online at www.valleycreek.church.